So uh, for our last segment, uh, we're going to uh, uh, hear about uh, what could be one of the biggest uh, private sector uh, labor strikes in uh, decades here in the United States, uh, the um, Teamsters uh, uh, at UPS. Uh, their contract runs out at the end of the month, and they vowed to go on strike on August 1st if UPS does not meet uh, their demands. UPS's profits have soared during the pandemic, and the workers want say they want their fair share. Uh, uh, my colleague Amba Gagarian uh, spoke earlier today with Antonio Rosario. He's both a, a Teamster driver with 29 years of service, and he's also a union organizer who's right in the thick of all this. Uh, he works uh, for, or he's a member of Local 804 here in New York and is in touch with uh, Teamsters across the country. Uh, uh, um, so I also want to let people know that Teamsters uh, President Sean O'Brien uh, is possible. He'll be at a, a practice picket at the Foster Avenue uh, complex in Brooklyn on Friday morning. But when Amba's uh, conversation, in her conversation with Antonio Rosario, uh, he started by uh, speaking about uh, what the union has already won at the negotiating table and why talks have collapsed, at least for now. I am here with Antonio Rosario, a nearly 29-year UPS worker and an organizer with Teamsters Local 804, has been an integral part of organizing um, the the sort of a ramp up for this potential strike during these contract negotiations uh, between the workers of UPS represented by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and uh, the company UPS, which uh, is not wanting to share as the wealth that's made over the pandemic. So Antonio Rosario with Local 804 Teamsters, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. It's great to have you here. So uh, you all, meaning the, the Teamsters, uh, uh, UPS drivers have been, uh, uh, and the representatives have been negotiating with the company now here for a few weeks, and you've already gotten um, some some big wins in tentative agreements, um, but negotiations have more or less collapsed as of the last um well, since July 5th. So uh, take us through what you've won and um, and why things collapsed. Right. Oh, so, you know, over the last few weeks, negotiations have been heating up. Um, but, you know, it's been an up and down kind of roller coaster. Like at some point I'm thinking, OK, we're going to avoid the strike because they're giving up so much. And then there are times where they're not bargaining in good faith. And then I'm like, all right, we're, we're probably going to strike now. So it's like it's just been a roller coaster. And um, like you mentioned, on July 5th, uh, negotiations broke down around 4 a.m., 4.15 in the morning, um, and UPS ended by saying they had nothing else to give. Now, at this point, we have made some really big gains, uh, you know, thanks to the leadership of Sean O'Brien and that great negotiating committee. Um, they got us uh, Martin Luther King Day as a holiday. That is now our official national holiday for UPS Teamsters that we never had before. Um, they were able to get... Uh, removal of the 22-4 two-tier job that's been a problem ever since 2018, which is, as you know, most know once you get language in a contract, sometimes very difficult to get that back. Um, so it was great that we were able to remove that and make those all RPCDs, which you call regular package car drivers. Um, yeah, thank you. And another big win was um, no more excessive overtime, especially in parts of the region where workers were working six days a week 
you know, uh, not spending any time with their families, 10, 12 hour days, you know, no quality of life. You know, that's just, and they were doing it for almost two years or over two years. And it's just a horrible way to, you know, to and, and disciplining people for not showing up. They're working six days, like give them a break. So they're not allowed any any longer to force anyone in on a six day for overtime. Um, and I think it's a big, a, a big deal. The 22 fours were being exploited by, with overtime. Um, they completely abused them as far as uh, working hours because they have no protections like the RPCDs do. Like they can put in request loads. They can, you know, for an eight hour day, they can get on a nine five list, which uh, is, is protection for the week to keep them under a certain amount of time. So they don't go over and have excessive overtime, but that language wasn't there for the 22 fours. So that was huge to get that removed. Um, and uh, finally, the economic proposal, you know, was dropped. We we gave them a proposal that we thought was beneficial to our workers and 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 well deserved by our workers because, like you mentioned, working through the pandemic and everything they've been through and being called essential and heroes while people were in their homes and our workers were out there putting their lives on the line, their families' lives at risk, and many people were hurt, many people were hospitalized, many people were you know died. So yeah, it, it, to for them. To come back with a counter proposal like they did was I, I just there's no other way to say it. it's a slap in the face to these hardworking men and women of this company, um, you know, uh, of the Teamsters. And, uh, you know, what kind of reason back, did they propose? And, and then what are you guys proposing? Right. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not too familiar with the numbers. I know that ours were at the end of the day, something that I that the drivers would be happy and the part time workers would be happy with. And the company came back with the, their numbers. I do know um, they, it was like two dollars and eighty five cents over the next five years, which was like ridiculous. And progressionary salaries, it was like 50 cents for a couple of years and then 60 something cents. It was like it was just so ridiculous. I think at one point, from my understanding, they wanted to split up one in six months and give you like a quarter for six months and then another quarter, another six months later. And it was just so right. disrespectful. And these part-time workers are making fifteen fifty in New York. Um, they make it, it, it's kind of a bittersweet thing, right? That you make the same amount of money at UPS because it's a nationwide contract. You're going to make fifteen fifty as a, a part-time loader in North Carolina or in New York. But in New York, that's 50 cents above minimum wage. And uh, yeah. I that, you know, this, there's this this not providing great living conditions for these guys. Right. No, not at all. And it's sad because they're trying to say the company's trying to say that they pay their part time as twenty dollars an hour and they give them these great benefits and everything. And they have pensions and they're right. They do have good benefits and they do have a pension. Don't pretend it's because of you. The union fought for those and the salary they only get those $20 an hour in particular areas where they're having trouble finding workers to do the job. So they'll have what they call an MRA, a market rate adjustment, and they'll just pay it in that particular area, like maybe in some rural area in Seattle. But for the most part, those workers aren't making any more than 15, 16 bucks an hour. And it's that's not a livable wage. So, you know, uh, when contract negotiations broke down, that was it. At 4 a.m. in the morning, it's because... They said they have nothing else to give and our leadership would not sell out the part-time workforce. And I think that's huge because I know in the past there were many contracts that were that were gotten that when we had reached this point and we had so many gains, they were like, OK, well, the part-time is only going to get this, but that's OK. And it was like everybody would agree to it. And it's like, no, you know, we're not selling out our part-time workforce. We never should have. We never should ever. 
And these are, they're like the backbone of our company. You know, these are the kids that are loading their trucks, busting their humps early in the morning, waking up at 3 a.m., loading three or four trucks. One driver will deliver this all day long. And yeah, it's a tough job. And I commend them. That's It's not easy work. I did. I was on a package for 19 years, but I worked inside as well. I was that young part-timer back in 94. And I remember that I had to load three or four of those trucks that he took all day to unload. And I'd have to load it in under four hours. Sometimes at three and a half, they're trying to kick you off the clock. And I'll never forget those days, you know, and I know that those workers deserve more. Yeah. We're all union. There should be, there shouldn't be that big a disparity between the full-time workers and the part-time workers. And you told me, uh, Antonio, in an earlier conversation that, yes, yeah, so it was three to four um, truckloads back in your day. So in the, the 90s, uh, mid 90s, and that now sometimes it's five to six. Yeah, I, that is correct. We have not changed that much. And that's kind of, that's kind of capitalism for you. I was trying to take more out of the worker, but that's just um, wild. Um, and do you think that that has, that the the fact that the part-time loaders got sort of maybe forgotten in previous contracts has led to even sort of um any tension within the ranks of the union itself. You think that getting wins for them could help strengthen, re-strengthen that? I mean, absolutely. It speaks for itself. I mean, this is a, a workforce that has always been tough to engage. Um, you know, you do have a lot of good part-timers that, that pay attention to what's going on and, but the majority of them, you know, they, they're not because they've been forgotten about for almost 20 years. So they've gotten the short end of the stick all this time. And we're expecting them to be like, rah, rah, the union, the union, when, when at the end of the day, they haven't been completely, you know, uh, looked after and they've always, well, you know, and I have to make a a quick correction because in my day, even though we made less money than the driver's. I was still making a fair share of salary above minimum wage. Um, you know, in 94, you know, it was different. It was, I think, minimum wage, if I'm not mistaken, was somewhere around $3 or $4. And it wasn't way above minimum wage, but it was like, I, me, my, I was like, I'm making some good money here, you know? And, uh, but here we are in, in 2023. And, and what did that go up? We're talking almost 25 years. And what did that increase? About 5 or $6? Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous with inflation. That makes no sense. And, you know, it's just not fair. Um, and they, you know, thankfully, uh, our leadership this time said, you know what, we're not selling out the part timers. And I love that. You know, that's a big deal for me. That's a big deal for a lot of workers out there. And I really think that will help engage our part time workers and, and actually have them more engaged, want to be more part of this union and, and actually, you know, be able to start bringing them together. We all got to come together. Um, in, in 97, we did that. And I, I mentioned that in an article that was written right after the 97 strike. And so, and, this uh, was, yeah, the so strike of 97, last strike, um, last UPS strike, uh, pretty much great, wide success for the workers just for yeah. a while. We don't know. Yeah. And and one of the things I said when I was being asked, because I was I was only about 23 years old when the interviewer was asking me, uh, what you know, I, I remember saying that we had made some big gains and I was really proud, you know, to be in the in the union. And that the one thing about it that really stuck out to me was that the part-timers and the full-timers stood together, you know, mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder against this company. And it 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 actually feels so, you know, I really can't 
put it into words how I've been feeling, especially listening to Sean O'Brien say that we're not selling on our part tamers because that's exactly how I felt back then. And it's like me being a kind of like a kid again, just feeling those emotions again, you know, saying, wow, but now I'm older. I'm, you know, one of the leaders in this labor movement and, you know, that feeling is just amazing. You know, that that energy that knowing that we're not going to, you know, they have been the forgotten ones for so long. So I'm really excited to see what's going to be happening over the next few weeks because we just, you know, they said, hey, they got nothing else to give. So in my eyes, we have nothing else to say. And I'm not sure what Sean O'Brien's thinking, but I mean, I, I, I could only assume he's thinking, hey, we got nothing else to say. We'll see you in August when we hit the pavement, but we'll see. That's been yet to be determined, but I don't see any other outcome unless UPS, you know, comes to the table. And again, the ball's in their court. All they have to do to get a deal right now is sign the deal and make sure our part-timers get what they deserve because everything else is set. There is no, there's no back and forth. We got nothing else to say. Just take care of that. You don't want to strike yourself. That's what you're going to do if you don't pay these workers what they deserve. So, you know, I like the way Sean O'Brien puts it. He says it's a self-inflicted wound. And that's exactly what it is. Because come on, let's be real. $13 billion in profits, you made over $100 billion and you're trying to nickel and dime our part-timers? Come on. You want a contract? You want to stop one of the largest strikes in history from happening? Pay our part-timers. Right. And that's Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters um, that's been at the helm of contract negotiations. But I want to talk uh, briefly just to compare and contrast the lead up to this uh, potential strike um, that would be happening August 1st. And uh, and then the strike of 97, which, like I said, was basically widely a success. Um, so compare uh, what's different and, and if, if there's more energy now or. Well, there definitely is way more energy now. Um, but there was a lot of energy back then too. Don't get me wrong. Right, that's what right. I like to hear. It was so, it was amazing. I, I have to say it was amazing. Uh, and mind you, I'm at the time I'm 22, 23 in that age group, and I was a young kid. And uh, I just remember the camaraderie. I remember the, the 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 trucks that would go by and honk, and we would go nuts. I remember you know uh, screaming at the supervisors, yelling at the scabs. Um, you know, it was a, a very interesting time um, and we got a lot of support back then. But, you know, it wasn't like what I'm seeing today. Uh, I mean, we did get a huge amount of community support. The public backed us in 97. But you got to remember, times have changed, especially technology. Social media has just changed everything. E-commerce has changed everything. Right. The e-commerce boom is what's generating all this wealth. You know, during the pandemic, people just that like to go to stores now are clicking that, you know, they used to go to stores now, got used to clicking that button and getting stuff delivered right to their homes. So they're essentially our new customers. So over over the last two, three years, e-commerce has, I mean, between companies like Amazon and, and UPS, they've made a killing. And they're not sharing with their workers. And you see it. You see Amazon workers right now are striking. Uh, there's a group in Palmdale, California that unionized 84 drivers and from my understanding, picket lines are being extended all parts of California. They've been hitting many buildings. They're even striking in Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts. Yeah. Like it's been pretty amazing to watch. And it's because, you know, people are feeling it. They're frustrated Absolutely. with these issues making all this money, right? I mean, somebody's got to finally stand up to these people. And I think it's being done right now, people. And, and it, it's so amazing to see. And in 97, I felt it. And 97 was where we were trying to fight it. And we did. We won big. 
And, um, you know, we got all the support, but now in 2023, we're taking it up another level. I mean, I'm talking about from all this organizational support we've been getting from organizations like Align, Make the Road, the DSA. Um, there's so many. Um, and and it's amazing to see when we're out there in these rallies, they all come and they'll have donuts and coffee and support it. And they're out there with signs and uh, we're not even striking yet. And we're already getting all this support. It's amazing. And then on social media, you see the pictures of the people on the on the practice picket lines. The practice pickets have been like so fun. I mean, it's happening all over the country, and we're just having a real good time out there holding up the practice signs. We got chants going. I mean, it, it is really, I can't, I can't, you know, it, it's, I just know that if we strike, you know, one, they're going to do it to themselves. And two, we're so ready. Like, <laughs> we are going to, and it's, again, they're not going to see just a bunch of brown uniforms out there. They are going to see brown uniforms they're gonna see red t-shirts they're gonna see uh uh people that we deliver packages coming to our picket lines are the communities that we service as drivers and that we took care of during these tough times i mean we got we're, we're really getting a lot of support and um the, the company would be um you know making a big mistake not just paying these part-time workers what they deserve they re really don't because they have no idea what they're about to create, the spark that's going to that's gonna turn into a roaring fire. So, um, okay, good. I can pause that out. Okay, so that's a 15-minute mark. So we have about three more minutes. So I'll just ask you two more questions. Um, so, yeah, that's great. And you guys have been having these practice picket lines um, at the same time all over the country. So I think last week there was a time at which there were nearly a hundred, you know, uh, different practice pickets going on, you know, at the same time or on the same morning at different UPS locations all around the country. And I can only imagine the solidarity that the workers feel when they know that. And, you know, I was there at one of them and I saw the energy and you're right. It feels like you're just on the picket line. So, you know, um, and the things I overheard from workers were um, really exciting. So I uh, agree with you on all of that there. I just want you to speak briefly about the change in dynamics in the union over the past couple of years. Uh, can you explain question. to people the militarism that the union has um, taken on after being, well, pretty much entrenched for a long time? And um, so our listeners know um, it, with the previous president, uh, Jimmy Hoffa Jr., uh, the contract negotiated in 2018 with the UPS uh, uh, was the workers were not happy with. It was bad. Um, Antonio is emotioning. So yeah, just tell us about the shift in, 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 the, well, in the union. You know, that's a great question. Um, and 2018 was uh, the last draw for a lot of us. Don't get me wrong. Thanks to the help of, uh, um, I remember I joined uh, Teams for Democratic Union uh, around 2016. And it was because, you know, uh, I knew that we needed change. And I saw that they were working together to try to remove leadership at the top. With and, them, that's uh, a more, and that's a more rank and file based uh, Democrat. Right. It's a, right. It's a it's a caucus. It's a caucus. It's a, a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, and they're they're really great. There's a lot of rank and file teamsters in that group, and I learned a lot. And it was great to meet rank and file teamsters from all over the country through the TDU. And um, you know, in 2016, we ran that first reform Teamsters United slate, 
And uh, I saw that we had an opportunity because we only lost by 6,000 votes, which when you take into con- you know consideration as 1.3 million or something like that, Teamsters, that's a very narrow margin, you know, and, um, you know, I said to myself, wow, we have an opportunity here. You know, this, this can really, really, really happen. We lost, but there's uh there's blood in the water and, and we smelled it. And uh, we went right back, and uh, and now we had Sean O'Brien at the top of the ticket. Um, he was ready to take on the company. He was tired of the bullshit. Also, you know, he got let go by by uh, Hoffa because he didn't want to agree to selling out the membership. So you know, it was really really pretty solid to have him. You know, and and to see now since he's become the president. First of all, winning that election was. I can't even, you know, that 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 arcade rule that we talk about, the two-thirds law, that they were able to implement that contract, right? You know, ram it down that members' throats. They can't ever do that again, thanks to the thanks to those guys. Um, and so much more that they've done. But what I really like when you ask that question about what's happening within the union and what's how's it being strengthened is he's bringing all these locals together. And I know it's not just him, but, you know, his leadership, it's been amazing. And they're, the people he's got around him, he's got a great team because they're bringing all these unions together, uh, other unions, uh, the joint council, all the locals are working together, you know, whether it be to take on legislation that's going to help our workers, whether it be for, for organizing, you know, it's just like everything has become like a group effort. And I've never seen this kind of solidarity before amongst locals. You know, there's always, you know, the locals that, uh, you know, in the past, there's always, well, this local doesn't get along with that local and blah, blah, blah. And that may still go on, but we put those differences aside now for the greater good. And I, I can't, you know, it's just to see this union, this Teamster union, this giant that went to sleep for over 20 years. It's like, it's awakening. The giant has finally woken up. And firing, you know, firing on all cylinders and ready to take on corporate America and raise standards for all workers. See, that's the big thing for me. This fight isn't just a fight against UPS. It's not. You know, we're fighting for those Amazon workers. We're fighting for those Target workers, Walmart workers. We're fighting for anybody who's being exploited out there and not being paid a livable wage by these corporations that are making you know, that mega, mega multi-corporations that are making billions and billions of dollars. And um, we're here to do the best we can to make sure we raise those standards as high as we can. I mean, everybody says, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, we're going to rise that tide as high as we can. So all those boats can come up together. Absolutely. And uh, and and that's no joke. You know, labor organizing is um, has extremely... Um, fruitful gains, but is hard and, you know, is a long struggle and, and, and it takes a lot of constant work. Antonio, you are in Montana right now in the middle of the strike pep at like an intensive organizing course, essentially. Uh, Right. It is pretty good. I I have to say this, this school here, if anybody doesn't know or never heard of the Grace uh, Carol Rocky Mountain Labor School. So many great classes. And then there's a woman named Erica. Uh, again, can't remember the last name. Um, but she's doing like a labor history course. But this is like an in-depth history. We're talking about, she goes all the back, all the way back to when, uh, uh, in 1811, when the slaves 
were uprising. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the, well, you know, labor, a lot of it, the ideas and organizing came from sometimes those slave workers organizing to take on, you know, to get themselves free. The amount of organizing that was done and the, and it's labor. They were, they were working for free being completely exploited, you know, because yeah. of the time trade. Right. So uh, to learn the history and to actually see, you know, where we're at, Today, um, it's scary because we've allowed these corporations over time. And you know why? Because they don't teach this stuff in schools. Uh, we have to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for enjoy- joining us. Antonio Rosario, organizer with Teamsters Local 804, New York. I just want to ask you one more thing. I believe that you guys have an exciting um, practice picket at the Foster Avenue UPS location um, this Friday morning and that there might be an open invite and that the president of the uh, Teamster, Sean O'Brien, might be there. Yeah, if you're looking for an amazing time, you want to go practice picket with a bunch of UPS workers who are going to be out there 730 in the morning at Four Star Avenue in Canarsie at the at the UPS building. And uh, word on the street is there might be an appearance from uh, General President Sean O'Brien. Right. And that's uh, 10401 Foster Ave. Well, we will leave it there. But thank you so much, Antonio Rosario. And we'll be keeping up with the Teamsters at UPS. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. You too.